Jesus, the Savior who forgives our sins, the Savior who redeems sinners, the Savior who told his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. As Christians, we keep the Ten Commandments not because obedience saves us, only Jesus saves us, but because these commandments show us a better way to live. The first four commandments show us that there's a better way to love God. We'll explore that this morning in the second commandment. While the last commandments, the final six, show us that there's a better way to love other people. Today we'll focus on the second commandment, which is a commandment about worship. A commandment that addresses the human instinct to make graven images of God and to worship those graven images as if they were God. The first commandment says that we are to worship the right God. No idolatry. The second commandment teaches us that we are to worship the right God the right way. In other words, when we worship God, we're not to begin with our imagination, we're to begin with God's revelation. Phil Riken explains, whereas the first commandment forbids us to worship false gods, the second commandment forbids us from worshiping the true God falsely. That's important because, as we'll see, how we worship matters nearly as much to God as whom we worship. So how do we worship the right God rightly? How do we worship the true God truly? Is it about smoke machines and light shows and electric guitars? Is it about pianos and pipe organs and harps and flutes. We have a cross in our sanctuary. Is that okay? Is, is that a graven image? What about people who portray Jesus as still on the cross in their worship services? Is that a violation of the second commandment? What about people who have all sorts of images and icons of Jesus and the apostles and the saints? Is that something that pleases God? Is that an act of acceptable worship? Am I allowed to show you goofy pictures on television screens? Are those digital graven images? If so, pray for me because I've shown you a lot of those over the years. Perhaps we'll see in violation of the second commandment. If worship is how we express our love for God, how do we know what God loves. How do we worship God as He is rather than how we imagine Him to be? If you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. We're going to ask two big questions about the second commandment today. The first is that we're going to talk about how we shouldn't worship God. How shouldn't we worship God? What does it mean to make graven images? Is that something that we must do literal? Is that figurative? How, we, how should we worship uh, God? 
Second, we're going to talk about how we worship God by looking at what the commandment requires. Does God give us something to worship? An image? An icon? If so, what is that image and icon? If not, why not? This is so important because when we try to make the invisible God visible, we have a tendency to reinvent God in our own image. But when God makes himself visible, then he reinvents us in his image. True worship of the true God will truly change your life. So how do we do that? Let's take a closer look. The first big question is, how shouldn't we worship God? What does the second commandment prohibit? Let's read it again. Verse 4. You shall not make for yourself any carved, uh, carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Now, before we get to what the second commandment is saying, I think it's worth taking a moment to examine what the second commandment is not saying. The second commandment is not saying that all religious artwork of any kind is illegitimate. No art, no paintings. Our church should be a cold, drab place with uh, stark white walls and concrete floors with nothing lifting our hearts and our minds up to the Lord Jesus. That's not what we, we've, we see. Now, some have taken it that way over the years, but we know it's not the case because in Exodus 31, we read about a man named Bezalel, who was a, the most gifted artist in all of Israel. He was so gifted, in fact, that God commissioned him to create artwork that was to be put in the tabernacle, artwork that would show the worshipers the glory and goodness of of God's grace. In Exodus 31, we read, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs. To work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. In other words, God loves art. God loves artists. And if you are, are an, an artist who creates beautiful art that glorifies God, God loves you. And we, as the church, appreciate the gifts that God has given you. In fact, here at Pinewoods Church, we have a group called Arts for Pensacola, where you, as an artist, can gather with other little uh, bezalels and bezalettes to uh, talk about your artwork and the things that God is using you to create so that you might lift all of our eyes and all of our hearts off of this bounded world and into the heavens where we might see the glory of God together. In Romans chapter 9, 
Paul borrows the artistic language of Isaiah chapter 64 to describe our relationship with God. According to Isaiah and the apostle Paul, God is the potter and we are the clay. In other words, God is the divine artist and we are his creation. We are his masterwork. We are his work of art. And so the instinct to create, whether it's to do woodworking or sculpting and painting or writing or directing or filmmaking or acting or singing or dancing or sewing, whatever that artistic expression is, comes from God and is a reflection of God because we are made in the image of God. So if God is not against religious art, full stop, then what is God saying in this commandment? What is the second commandment telling us about worship? Here's the issue. Because we we are fallen, finite human beings, because we are sinners who desperately need God's grace, we have a tendency to create images of God in our minds, in our hearts, and with our hands that diminish and distort him. Even if, we, even if we have the best of intentions, even if we say, ah, this painting, this film, this children's book will show people who God really is, physical depictions of God always conceal more than they reveal. Some images of God diminish God simply because they're incomplete. How do we depict God the Father? If we are to depict God the Father as an old man, as Michelangelo did on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, as George Burns did in a series of very bad 1980s comedy books about, about God, films about God, or Morgan Freeman in Bruce Almighty. We might capture something about God. We might capture his, his wisdom. We might capture his, his personality in the sense that he is a person that we can speak with, a person that we can hear and listen to by portraying him as an old person. Maybe it evokes a sense of, of, of respect or the wisdom of God. We might capture something about him, but what do we lose? How do we portray in an image the Father's omnipotence? The fact that he is all power, infinitely power. How do we display his omniscience, the fact that he knows everything? How do we display his omnipresence, the fact that God is spirit and as such, is is present in all places at all times. Can any image of God capture the essence of God? How do we capture the essence of God the Son? If we depict God the Son as baby Jesus, surrounded by angels and shepherds, 
as perhaps a gentle Jesus holding little lambs and babies in his arms, as suffering Jesus on the cross, or angry Jesus turning over the tables in the temple, or cosmic Jesus seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, or apocalyptic Jesus riding on a white horse with flaming eyes and a sword in his hand as the Lion of Judah, as the Lamb of God, can any one picture capture the essence of who He is? We would have to have a a series of images, a never-ending series of images, and even then, in any one particular image, we would have a, a a distortion of who Jesus truly is. Picture that capture, pictures that capture Jesus' humanity would obscure his divinity, and pictures that capture his divinity would obscure his humanity. Pictures that capture his joy would obscure his sorrow, and pictures that capture his sorrow would obscure his joy. Pictures that capture Jesus' indignation as he talked with the Pharisees, those religious hypocrites of Israel who uh, could strain a, a gnat and swallow a camel, would obscure his relentless compassion toward people like Peter and James and John and Mary and Martha and Lazarus and a tax collector like Zacchaeus or another tax collector like Matthew and beggars and blind men and people who had nothing, prostitutes, sinners. We could never capture that in one image. How do you paint that? How do you carve that? How do you sew that? How does an actor, even the best actor in the world, Charlton Heston, capture the richness of everything that Jesus is. If we depict the Spirit as a dove, what happens to the flames of fire? And if we depict Him as the flames of fire, what happens to the dove? You see, even the best depictions of God, even the the depictions of God that capture one aspect of who God is with such beauty and clarity end up diminishing God because they're incomplete. Now, other images of God distort God because they're simply incorrect. In 90% of all the pictures of Jesus that I have ever seen, Jesus is A, white, and B, good-looking. The Bible does not tell us anything about Jesus' physical appearance other than he was not white and he was not good looking and yet that's every image of jesus where did that come from i don't know but somehow it ended up on grandma's wall somewhere and so we have a a diminishment and distortion of who he is maybe just maybe we have created jesus in our own image so that Instead of accepting the call to become more like him, we reverse it so that he becomes more like us. 
Do films about Jesus distort who he is? Well, they often do. Does anyone remember the last temptation of Christ? Total distortion of who God is. I hope you don't remember the film, Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter, which is a real film, uh, and a total distortion of who Jesus is. Do musicals about Jesus distort who he really is? Anyone seen uh, Jesus Christ Superstar? I have, and I wish I hadn't. I remember when Jesus Christ Superstar came to Broadway, I was living in New York, and I thought to myself, hey, I'll go see Jesus Christ Superstar. What could be better than a musical about Jesus? The answer, literally anything could have been better than that particular musical about Jesus, but that's probably another sermon for another time. I digress. It's even deeper than that, beyond the cringeworthy, often blasphemous depictions and distortions of God that we see in the images that we create in the movies and the musicals and the murals. The very act of shrinking God so that he fits into the image that we have created distorts God beyond recognition. Here's Phil Riken again. Very insightful and very powerful. I never thought of it this way, but he writes this. An idol makes the infinite God finite. The invisible God visible. The omnipotent God impotent. The all-present God local. The living God dead. And the spiritual God material. In short, it makes him the exact opposite of what he actually is. Thus, the whole idea of idolatry rests on the absurdity of human beings trying to make a true image of God. An idol is not the truth, but a lie. It is a God who cannot see, know, act, love, or save you see the problem here? In all our efforts to make God more accessible to people, we end up diminishing and distorting the true God that we encounter in the scriptures. We end up with a God who is manageable. We end up with a God that we can control. We end up with a God who cannot love and cannot save because he's a God who is made in the image of man Versus man being made in the image of God. So, that's what the second commandment prohibits. Taking the infinite God and reducing him so that he is a finite image of stone or clay or canvas or film. Second big question. If that's the case, how should we worship God? If we break the second commandment by worshiping God as we want him to be, then we keep the second commandment by worshiping God as he has shown himself to be. Pastor Tim Keller writes this, If we are allowed to make our own images of God, we cannot avoid controlling him. That's the first part of the sermon. But if we have no images of God... 
then all we have is an invisible abstraction that we can't, and we can't know Him personally. The beauty of the incarnation, the beauty that the eternal God became a flesh and blood human being, that God would become one of us, is that we do have an image of God to worship. And His name is Jesus. In Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of of the invisible God. The Greek word that we translate image is the word icon. Do you see? See, God does not come to us and say, away with the icons. I hate the icons. No more icons. He says, I hate your icons because they're distracting you from my icon. I don't want you to see a dim reflection of who I am. I want you to see the fullness of God dwelling in the face of Jesus, the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews 1, chapter, in chapter 1, verse 3, we are told that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The Greek word that we translate exact imprint is the word character. Jesus shows us the character of God. And so if you've ever wondered, who is God? What is God like? How can I know him? The answer is, look to Jesus. Look to his life of of wisdom and fortitude and courage and beauty and compassion and love and you will see the face of God. In John 4, Jesus told Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That's good news. When Moses in the Old Testament wanted to see God, he said, God, I want to see your face. And God said, you cannot see me unless I hide you in the cleft of the rock. God says the same thing to us. He says, you cannot see me unless you are hidden in Christ. You cannot see me unless you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You cannot see me clothed in the filth of your own sin. You can see me clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do you see what God has done? He didn't say, there will be no images of me. He said, do not make images images of me because I have made an image of me. I want to show you who I really am. In Jesus, we see a God who is a jealous God, a God who is jealous to know us and love us and have a relationship with us. We see a God who will by no means pardon sin, a God who cares about righteousness and justice and fairness and equity and wants us to care about those things too because we are made in the image of God. 
We see a God who will show mercy and does show mercy to thousands upon ten thousands upon hundreds of thousands and millions of people who love him and keep his commandments because they have been loved by him. Because they are obeying the God who says, I have redeemed you from slavery in Egypt, not because of who you are, not because of what you have done, but because of who I am, because of what I have done for you. And so how do we see him? See, if we just imagine who Jesus is in our minds, we're right back to the original problem, which necessitated the writing of the second commandment. So where do we see him? We see the face of Jesus in the pages of the scripture. The whole scripture is the story of redemption through Jesus, our Savior. Anticipated in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New, celebrated in the epistles and the apocalypse of John and in the book of Hebrews, we see Jesus. We see the face of Jesus when we eat the Lord's Supper together, as we read the words of institution which say, this is my body which is given for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. We see the face of Jesus when we see someone baptized, washed with the waters of God's grace, and we consider our own baptism, our own inclusion into the family of God, We see the family resemblance on display and remember that we were bought at a price. We see the face of Jesus in the faces of our friends and neighbors, believers and unbelievers alike who are created in the image of God. When we cast down our idols and stop making God in our own image, the most amazing thing happens. It goes from living in a world, a black and white world, like you're watching black and white TV on an old picture tube, like with one of those redneck antennas on the top of it to get the signal and the static, to seeing the world in 8K, ultra high def, 3D surround reality. It's a whole new world. And so my question is, Number one, are you worshiping the right God? Are you worshiping the God who says, I love you. I have redeemed you. I have delivered you from slavery in Egypt. Secondarily, are you worshiping the right God the right way? Are you worshiping a God who's made in your image? Or are you worshiping the God who made you in his image? Are you diminishing or distorting God? Are you trying to turn God into a painting or a statue or even a mental image that you can control? Or are you worshiping God in spirit and in truth? God desperately wants you to see him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to celebrate a relationship with him. And nowhere do we see this any more clearly than in the life of Jesus. The image 
of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, who loved us so much that he would die on the cross for us to renew the image of God in his fallen people. Do you want to see him? Don't look to the movies or musicals or books or paintings or murals. Open your Bible. Open your heart. Ask God to show you his glory. He will. Let's go to God in prayer. O Lord our God, we pray with your servant Moses, please show us your glory. We repent over all the many ways that we have sought to diminish you or distort you, whether consciously or unconsciously, whether through the literal creation of images that we would use to worship you or through the many more subtle ways in which we project our fallen humanity onto you. Forgive us. Lord, we repent and we ask for your mercy. Lord, we ask that you would show us who you really are. And when we're struggling to see, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Hear hear us now, for we pray in his name. Amen.